You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. Empire. Welcome to the podcast. The Redskins did it. They fired coach Jay Gruden. I'm going to have my observations on that in a minute. I also have an interview with ESPN's Mike Reese. He covers the Patriots. He obviously was at the game Sunday, and we spoke after the game. I wanted to keep this interview on here because I thought he shed some good insight from an outsider's look at the Redskins situation and what it had become and what this team meant even to someone from afar when he was growing up. But first, my observations and thoughts on the Jay Gruden firing. Number one, this was inevitable. Jay Gruden entered the year on the hot seat and the team wasn't playing well at 0-5. When you look at the roster, they tried it out the last couple weeks. It's easy to see why. Once again, injuries had decimated their roster. And among other things, yeah, the coaching could have been better. Tighter discipline, fewer penalties, et cetera, et cetera. Better cover, you know, better techniques or whatever. But they had no chance against New England Sunday and they clearly hadn't quit. They were just outmanned, especially on offense. Their defense competed, and with a better offense, maybe that game's a lot closer. I don't know if that would have saved Gruden's job, and really at this point it doesn't matter. But when you have a line down two starters and then also Trent Williams out against a front like that, you have little chance. Then there's no Vernon Davis or Jordan Reed. No running game to speak of, and to me that's been one of the big failures under Gruden. Some of that, of course, comes back to line coach Bill Callahan, who is now taking over. The run game is Callahan's design, but Gruden Gruden was the head coach and could have dictated more of what he wanted if it was a design he did not like. And I'll get more to more of that in a minute, somebody who would dictate to him. So it's on all of them. And this will at least remove one question from the locker room. Had they not done this, it would have hovered over them for weeks and it would have become untenable. They knew in the locker room that this was inevitable. Everybody out there knew this was inevitable. You saw Chris Thompson's reaction Sunday. He was highly emotional talking about Gruden and what he meant to him. A lot of players liked playing for Gruden. In some cases, it was because he took care of them. They also didn't quit on him. Um, Getting blown out by the Patriots is not proof that they quit, just that they weren't very good. But there is a lot of frustration in that locker room. And some of that, yes, goes back to Gruden and how he was using certain guys or or the role that he had for them, etc. And how many, how much usage they got in those roles. Um, and my guess, though, is for some of these vets, some of that frustration is probably going to continue unless the workload they get changes. And I know that in the last couple of weeks, some vets have spoken with the young players to make sure they keep taking a certain approach on and off the field if there had been a coaching change, which of course there now is. I talked to one vet last week and he said he was talking to some of the younger guys. This guy had gone through a coaching change before. He said he was talking to some of the young guys who about this and told them not to assume their longevity in the NFL or in Washington. As he told them, Gruden might be the reason you're in the NFL. You don't know why you're sticking here, um, except for guys like Landon Collins who have these huge deals. 
they now need to convince others why they should remain, whether in Washington or in the NFL. And everybody there has seen guys who were out of the league quicker than they thought they would, in part because of a coaching change. Gruden has a strong offensive mind. He really does, no matter what fans think. This is why he's respected around the NFL um, in that regard. That doesn't say anything about the head coaching ability. That's, those are two separate issues, but that's just the way it is. I also know that Sean McVay always credited him with giving him the responsibility that allowed him to grow as a coach. I also know McVay would have grown fast anyway. It's just his nature. He's just different. But before Gruden was hired, I remember talking to some people around the NFL, about 10 or 12 people or so, about the various candidates for the Redskins job. People were split on Gruden. Some really liked him, and some said nope. One complaint by some who had worked with him in the past was what they felt was his inattention to detail. I think that came through at times. It was an area McVay helped with on offense, and it was something I thought maybe Kevin O'Connell might help him with this year as well. Um, I think it goes beyond that. Some players would complain, too, about the inconsistency with discipline for various matters, fines, etc., Again, you build a certain culture when that takes place, but that's where a strong front office can also step in, having someone who can lead on Gruden to be more that way. And it wasn't like he was always soft on them. I heard from a number of players who would talk about what he would say in meetings and some of the things that, for example, back in the day that he would say about Griffin publicly, some of the players say, oh, he's even worse. He's hard, much harder on him um, in private. Like everything he would say in public, he's already said in private. Um, I think that was true for a lot of guys. Um, that isn't the recipe for success as a head coach as we've seen. There's a lot of things that have to go right for that. Um, you know, and I'm not trying to defend Gruden, his record and all that. I know as a head coach, the record is what it is. And he's, I think it was 35, 49, and 1. That's his record. That's what, that's what he's accomplished. So let's be honest, though. The problems do not end at Gruden's feet. The firing isn't going to turn the organization around unless the organization makes other changes. Or maybe they get really lucky with the next guy. Bruce Allen's record here is abysmal. Stan Snyder's record as an owner is abysmal. Yet that's who will be picking the next coach. Do you believe that they'll make the right call or have the proper setup? I keep hearing from outsiders how the coaching staff and front office weren't on the same page often enough. Look at the Dwayne Haskins draft pick. While they did like him, their preference likely would have been to pick him in the second round, perhaps knowing that he'd have to sit a while. They do like working with him. And, you know, for everything that was said about Gruden, that was a consistent thing I heard from him publicly and privately, just that he likes working with Haskins. They like the kid. They love his potential. They think there's a lot of potential there. Don't confuse the issue and think that they didn't like him or don't like him. But they also could have played that one better, and they could have put that kid in a better spot. I think that's the hard – That's I also feel bad for a guy like Haskins because that quarterback – you're, you become the face and the future of a franchise and you need to go to a place that's going to be able to nurture all of that in a very positive way. And you want an organization to be on the same page when it comes to the quarterback and, and taking them. And, you know, like I said, I don't sense from anybody there that they dislike him or they, 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 that they don't want him. It was just always about how long would it take. And no, it, to, in my knowledge is that was not a reason given for the firing. It did not come up in the final conversation with Gruden from what I have been told. Um, so, but I do feel, like I, like I said, with Haskins, I think he got put in a tough spot for himself. And I hope that whoever they hire next is on board with him because that will make a difference or that could make a difference as far as what they do. Anyway, the choice of Bill Callahan as their interim was the only one they could really make. He has the experience of having been in charge in, a couple, in college and the NFL, and he 
my understanding is he's not looking to become a head coach. Again, he knows the deal, and if a new coach comes in and wants to retain him, he can do so without the threat of Callahan wishing he'd had the job or doing things behind the back to get that job. At least that's my thought right now. Let's see how this unfolds. I definitely would not have elevated Kevin O'Connell. When people mention his name about a future head coach, they don't do it under the context of him getting a head coach any job anytime soon. He's someone they view in the future could be a head coach. For In some people's eyes, that's a few years away. I don't view him as Sean McVay 2.0, and that's from people who know both in a different way than I do and know them more in a football sense, in the room with them, etc. Um, I do think that O'Connell has a lot of strengths. Um, and I did talk to one offensive player who likened him to Sean as far as his offensive mind. And I think that's going to be something to watch going forward. McVay was excellent at sticking to his guns on what he wanted. For example, if he didn't like certain protections for his pass sets or even the run plays, he would let Callahan know. And if Callahan persisted, he would let Callahan know. And that would be that. McVeigh didn't take crap from anyone. He was a head coach long before he became one in that regard as far as his mindset. I don't get this. I don't know that that's what O'Connell is like. And again, people who know him both say that's not. It doesn't mean he won't be a head coach. It just means that he's not going to be as ready as early as McVeigh was. He's someone who has a sharp offensive mind, but he hasn't called plays. Let him call the plays and then see what happens with him. See what happened to Freddie Kitchen in Cleveland last year. He wasn't on the head coaching candidate roster either before he started calling plays in Cleveland for Baker Mayfield, and look what happened. But he was allowed to develop that part of his acumen, and then he showed he could be a, that he could elevate to a head coach. Teams don't take interim coaches and make them head coaches. It just doesn't happen. Um, I don't even, I'm sure there's been a case where it has. It's not, it's the rare, rare, rare occasion. So when you get an interim job, you get put in a no-win situation and it's not really a true measure of what you are as a coach because when you're a head coach, you get to set up your own system and the way things are run and you can establish that. And you do that by starting in the off season. If I were O'Connell's agent and they had gone to him and said, should he do it? I would have told them, don't do it. You, it can only set you up to fail. Let him call the plays, see what happens. They could even hire a defensive head coach and retain O'Connell to run the offense if that's what they wanted. Then you would give Haskins some continuity. But O'Connell is not a slam dunk hire at this point, just someone to keep your eye on in the future. And I, like I said, that's not a knock on him. It's just that I think you need, there's some steps that he's going to take. I don't think that He's the kind of guy that you're going to elevate from being um, an offensive quarter without having ever called plays to becoming a head coach. Let him get this part of the game down first without worrying about the headaches of being a head coach. Then we'll start to see what he can do with this offense and go from there. And finally, one last thing on Jay Gruden. He was a very honest guy when it came to dealing with the media and especially in those press conferences. And I think sometimes it also got into got him into a little bit of trouble. Um, sometimes there would be things that he might say in there that the organization didn't like the way he phrased it, even if it was accurate and true. Um, I know that there were times that some other coaches might say, and this is what they would say, I love Jay, but I wish he wouldn't say this during those Wednesday press conferences because they felt like maybe he's giving away too much information on injuries, et cetera, et cetera. But I also, you know, and I remember that first year, he was very honest. I remember talking to Jason Reed because we were both covering the team at the time. And we were coming back from a press conference, and we both said, you know, I love his honesty, but I wonder how long that's going to work here. And it worked enough because they liked Gruden, and he was doing well enough, and the team was started was had made some progress during this time. They just kept stagnating for a variety of reasons. 
Um, but I know that they did talk to him about that at times, about the need to say a little bit less in press conferences. And you could see it over the years. It got sometimes got a little bit different. And then there were times where when he got pushed back into it felt like he was in a corner with the situation, that he might just say what he felt was the honest truth. But usually, I think I said this earlier, usually it's something that he had already told those players in private. Um, I just think that for some there, they would like to have had less information available to opposing teams. How big a deal was that? I don't know. I don't think it was a huge deal, but it was something that I know others there would say, if I'm a head coach, I wouldn't. I probably wouldn't do the same thing. Anyways, but again, from a, the one thing I know is that he didn't lie, um, and there were things that if you'd asked Jay, if he didn't, if you asked Jay Gruden about like a certain situation, and he wasn't gonna, and he couldn't tell you, then he just wouldn't. He wouldn't respond, or you know, he wouldn't answer the question, press conference, whatever. So, um, anyways, just wanted to add that one last part before I get out of here. That's it for my thoughts on Jay Gruden's firing for right now. Coming up, my interview with ESPN Patriots reporter Mike Reese. Something that we taped after the game, but I still think it can provide a lot of insight into an outsider's perspective on the Redskins. Welcome back. Now, here's my conversation with ESPN Patriots writer, Mike Reese. So I'm here with my ESPN counterpart in New England, Mike Reese, one of my all-time favorites, does a great job with the Patriots. Mike, this had to be, we were talking about this before the game, but this had to be a weird situation for you to come down here and see what's kind of going on in Washington when you looked out at the crowd. Yeah, it, it was, John, and I had to tell you, I feel for you. you know, because <laughs> I, No, I do, um, because you know, I get to watch a high level of football yeah. every weekend with the Patriots, and it's something that I really appreciate. And I think to come to the stadium and to not see a high level of football is hard to watch, you know, and I feel for you, I I feel for the fans that are watching it. And so um, the crowd, to me, reminded me of a game in San Diego one year when the Patriots, the Patriots travel well with their fans. They have fans all over, but they took over the stadium. And so at the end of the game, it almost felt like a home game when the Patriots are running off. And when I think of all the quotes that Bill Belichick has given over the years. Mm-hmm. Um, this one after the game stands out to me because it was, he goes, he was asked about the crowd support and he goes, oh my God, you know, it was amazing. Like, Today that he was, that. yeah, he did. Wow. And that was his response Sunday, you know, after the game. So to hear Bill Belichick reference that, that is you know, that was staggering. notable to me. And I mean, because again, you've seen it, but to see it in a place like this, where it's, it's supposed to be an iconic franchise, where it's fallen like this. It, it makes me sad yeah. for the Redskins, for the Redskins fans, and to be honest, John, for the league. Yeah. Because um, I'm 44 years old, and I grew up in the, you know, the 80s and the 90s, you know, were formative years for me. And I think of the great Redskins teams back in those days when I was a kid. Like, I yeah. used to be out at the bus stop to go to get picked up to school, and we would play football. And, like, the teams we would pick would be, like, the Giants, right. the Redskins, you know, like, back in that, in that era. And walking into the press box at FedEx Field, you know, one of the first things that stood out to me were those big Sports Illustrated pictures yeah. in the back of the yeah. press box right. of John Riggins, 
of Doug Williams, you know, of those Super Bowl uh, years, you know, and of course with Sports Illustrated and everything that's been happening there, right. I thought the combination of those two yeah. things was uh, really struck me on this trip. Absolutely, you know, it's it's funny you say that too because like it is having covered this even for me over the last couple of years, it's been. I just keep saying, like, I used to say to myself, well, at least I'm not covering Arizona back in the day. Because you'd go out to the Cardinal Stadium way back when, and you get 25,000 people there, and it's just like, oh, my God. And, you know, it's like, well, at least this franchise will not get to that point, and they kind of, they really are. They're, I mean, I think the fan base is still large. I think, they, I think there's still a lot of people who care, but you're not seeing it at the stadium. So, like, when you, but also just on the, the, the on-the-field product, yeah. what was the sense you got from them leading into this game did you was there any sense like of what they were facing what this team is doing in terms of like whether they you just hey let them make mistakes we'll capitalize anything like that or did you sense anything i would imagine with the patriots yeah. it's never any different so the patriots are always going to talk up the opposition right. it's actually a very smart approach in of the course. sense of because mm -hmm. if you think about the nfl if you don't bring your a game and you take the opponent lightly, like you can lose yeah. in the NFL. And we can go through many examples yeah. of that. So the way they're mentally conditioned is to publicly speak of, hey, here's all the sure. good things they can do. And look, it was halftime, and what was it, 12, 12 to 7. Yeah, I mean, and so it's not lip service. It's right. If we don't play well, and the Patriots missed some opportunities uh, on offense, and they had the one bad play on defense, like – Bad things can happen. But it all, I'm sorry. Not yeah, no, go for it. I, I was going to say, it also seems like they do a good job of, like, when you give them an opening, they're pouring through. Yeah, they're going to take it, right? And um, I, I just go back to the thing about what they really thought about the Redskins. Mm -hmm. And I would say, you know, Bill Belichick waxed poetic right. uh, during the week about Joe Gibbs and what it was like to, to play them in the past. Um, I didn't sense like they felt like it was a major threat here that if they did what they wanted sure. to do, that they could take care of business to answer the question frankly. Right. And one of the things Adrian Peterson said after the game was he talked about like New England's defense can be very exotic. A lot of different packages, formations, all that, probably more than most teams. He said, somebody asked him after the game, like, did you see that? He goes, well, they weren't as exotic as what we saw in film. It was almost like they were waiting for us to sit back and make mistakes. Did you see anything different defensively with what they were doing? It, was a, it almost looked like they just felt they could win one-on-ones up front. Well, so I actually want to give the Redskins some initial credit okay. for what happened early in the game because I hadn't seen the Patriots' defense get rocked back a little bit on its heels mm -hmm. early in the game. So let me explain. Right. So, like, first play... The Redskins go with an extra offensive lineman Correct. as an eligible receiver. Mm -hmm. And the Patriots had to take a timeout right. before the snap to get their big personnel on the field. Sort of caught them by surprise right. a little bit. So they go with the big personnel, the Redskins do. Patriots have their big defense. And you're thinking run, right? Because it's big personnel. Right. They throw. Right. So I thought that was a, an initial good start. So then... The Redskins continue on, and what the Patriots said after the game, and I thought it was great insight, was without Vernon Davis, right. they ran a lot more four-wide packages Absolutely. than they than the Patriots were expecting. Right. Bill Belichick said we could have coached that even better. So they go four-wide. What did they do? They ran out right. of four-wide. Right. That was the touchdown, touchdown run. Now the Patriots could have tackled better and sure. all that, but I just thought... That, that, to me, tells you, like, that's good offensive coaching. Right. You, just, you just put stress 
on the defense, and you really won the chess match in those situations. Yeah. They just couldn't sustain it. The Patriots adjusted. And they adjusted. And, I, and to be frank, the talent gap is pretty big because you look at the Redskins' offensive weapons, the offensive line, you had a couple backups, and you're already down Trent Williams. So really three-fifths of the line was that you thought you would have this year was not on the field. But the Patriots are really good defensively, and yes. they play like Dante Hightower is always, always. Yep. always chasing down the ball, and he's got speed, and they have yes. speed a linebacker, but they also seem to know what they're doing well, yes. which is a problem here because you saw them attack, the Patriots attack them over the middle, yes. all those crossers, and, and attack the linebackers. Yes. Teams just don't attack the Patriots that way, do they? Yes, no, and they don't, and the Patriots are very deep. Right. John, you're talking about like the Redskins right. being without certain players. Well, for the Patriots, I will just tell you, they were without their starting safety, Patrick Chung, in this right. game. They don't miss a beat. Last week against Buffalo, they were without Dante Hightower. He didn't play. Right. They, they didn't miss a beat. Week one, they were without Kyle Van Noy. He was, his wife was having a baby. They didn't miss a beat. Why not? Devin McCourty said it's because they have players that would be starters on okay. many other teams. Now, I agree with him, but I also think they do a great job taking the personnel and tailoring what they're doing to their strengths. And I'll give you one example, like John Simon, an outside right. linebacker. I mean, this was a street free agent. He was released by the Colts who play a 4-3. Bill Belichick Salmon said he can be more of like a 3-4 outside linebacker for us, contribute in the kicking game. And like, he's a different player than right. we saw in Indianapolis. So it's identifying the talents of a player and fitting him into your scheme. Do you, and some of that is obviously Belichick's smarts. Some of that, too, it almost seems like, because he's, he's always done that well, and he's done that well for a long time here. But I almost wonder if like, the success he's had allows him to just experiment more with other guys, and he's always hitting. And, but it's, it, it's, it's almost like it's freed him up to do even more of what yeah. he wants to do in yeah. some ways. Yeah, and there's a flip side to it, John. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, a guy like Michael Bennett, who you know, you know from being in right. the division last year with the Eagles, and prior to that he was with the Seahawks, like... He was a guy that's used to playing a lot. Patriots have him. He's really a 4-3 right. end who right. reduces right. inside in passing situations. Like coming into this game, he was only playing 40% of the snaps. Mm. Like he's got to buy in. Now, I, mm. I think he's buying in, John. Like I don't know for sure. Right. But right. so you also I want to give the players credit, whether it's Bennett or someone else, because one week they might be a big part of what they're doing. The next week they might not be as big because they're so multiple and change up what and they do. What I've always found players buy in when you, they have no choice to buy in when you're winning. And what I'm experiencing now with this team is a lot of frustration yeah. because like, hey, I want the ball more here. I got to get more stuff here because you're losing. It's like we're 0-5 and I'm not getting the ball enough. What's going on? And so like, I think that's the difference. One of the guys I want to ask you about, because the whole thing here is about speculation about Jay Gruden yeah. and what's going to happen with him. Patriots have an offensive coach, Josh McDaniels, whose name always comes up. Yeah. What is your take on him as a coach, and do you think he would – I mean, I know he almost left here, but do you think he would leave New England, and what would, what would it take? Yeah, he would leave New England for the right opportunity. Mm -hmm. He wants to be a head coach again. He's on the record as saying that. I think part of the reason he hasn't is he's got a great situation in New England. Uh, he's very well compensated uh, to be in New England. He has a family that is rooted in New England and is, you know, really loves the community that they're in. So those are all things going for him. That being said, if someone comes and offers a great head coaching opportunity, 
Like, he is going to listen. That is proven. This past offseason, the Packers, you know, were in the mix. The Bengals, he was in conversation in terms of being a candidate there. So I think very highly of Josh McDaniels. And my belief is that he would be like Bill Belichick the second time around. Really? Like, Josh Josh will tell you, like, he crashed and burned in Denver. He did. It was ugly at the end, right? And he was just exhausted. And he learned so much from that experience somewhat, not this carbon copy, but right, somewhat right. similar Simi- to Bill Belichick's yeah, experience yeah, in Cleveland. And I think going through that one time can help you. And I also look around the league, John, and I, I say some of the coaches I see there, like I think Josh McDaniels is a top a top coach, you know, relative to the rest of the coaches out there. Well that could be a name I'm following in a few yes. months if things continue down this path. Mike, I appreciate you joining me. Always enjoy talking to you. Thanks John. Likewise. That's all I have for you for now. I appreciate Mike Reese joining me, and I appreciate you guys listening to this podcast. It's been a tough, long time for Redskins fans. Hang in there. Thanks for sticking with me.